Hello and welcome to Solutions. This is our fourth podcast for solution-focused hypnotherapists. I'm Cathy Eland. And I'm Trevor Edwards, and we're both experienced solution-focused hypnotherapists. This time we thought we'd look at how your brain and your gut biome are linked. I know what a brain is, but what's a biome, Cathy? It should really be microbiome. And that's a term coined by Joshua Lederberg in 2001 and refers to the ecological community of commensal symbiotic and pathogenic microorganisms sharing your body space. For our purposes, it's all the things that live in your gastrointestinal tract, your gut, that aren't you. I've heard it said that when you walk into a room, only 10% of the cells that enter are you and the other 90% are microbiobial cells, which I guess gives you an idea of just how many of them there are. That's a pleasant thought, Trevor. Tell us what they do, all these bacteria. Well, gut bacteria are good because they help us get energy from food. They allow us to absorb vitamins. They can help produce molecules that fight against inflammation help develop our immune systems, but they also have an impact on the way animals and people behave. And you're going to tell us about some of these experiments, aren't you, Trevor? Yes. I hope you like mice. Yes, they're lovely little rodents. Anyway, mice were put in a container of water and forced to swim around to find dry land. Now, depressed mice swim for less time before they give up. Inhibitory signals are transmitted more efficiently in their brains than motivational or driving impulses. Antidepressants are tested on mice because if the mice tend to swim longer, the antidepressants must be working. But what happens if you feed your mice with bacteria that are good for the gut? That's exactly what they did. And the mice swam for longer and their blood contained fewer stress hormones. The mice also perform better in memory and learning tests too. Interestingly, once the vagus nerve, you know, the one that goes everywhere in the body, including the brain and the gut. Anyway, once it was cut, the mice showed no improvement. So jumping ahead a little, the vagus nerve seems to be one of the ways that the gut and the brain are linked. But back to our mice experiments. Another example is when mice are given antibiotics which affect the gut biome. This has been found to lower levels of BDNF, a brain-derived neurotrophic factor, a protein in the brain used in creating new neurons. But it's not just mood and brain chemicals. Other researchers worked with the bacteria Acomancia mucinophil, which usually makes up 3 to 5% of gut bacteria, but its levels fall in obese people. Mice were put on a high-fat diet until they put on two to three times more fat than normal lean mice. They were then fed the bacteria. The result was that the mice remained larger than the lean cousins, but they lost about half their extra weight, although they stayed on the same diet. They also had lower levels of insulin resistance, which is important with type 2 diabetes. Scientists suggested that adding the bacteria increase the thickness of the gut's mucus barrier, which stops some materials passing from the gut to the blood. It also changed the chemical signals coming from the digestive system, and that led to changes in the way fat was processed elsewhere in the body. Still with mice, we find that some strains are more timid and docile, while others are more adventurous. So what do you think would happen to the behaviour of the mice if, somehow, their gut bacteria were swapped around? 
Well, that's exactly what scientists achieved. By using antibiotics, they killed all the existing gut bacteria and then rebooted them with the bacteria usually found in the other type of mice. The result was the shy mice became more gregarious and the outgoing mice became more timid. There's no saying that the same thing would happen in humans, but it does add weight to the argument that the gut really does affect the brain. So let's talk about humans now. Because of the large surface area of the gut, it is our largest sensory organ. Information is sent to the brain so it can know what's going on in this internal environment. In fact, for a baby, most of what it knows about the world comes from the gut, and that affects how it feels. A baby cries if it's hungry or needs its nappy changing. It smiles with the pleasure of a full stomach. So this link between the gut and the brain doesn't disappear as we grow older and it can still affect our mood and sense of well-being. In fact, a study in 2013 found that after four weeks of swallowing certain bacteria, there were unmistakable alterations to the areas of the brain associated with pain and emotions. In another experiment, people had small balloons inflated in their intestines. Healthy patients didn't show any unusual brain activity. People with IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, showed activity in the emotional centre of the brain, making them feel uneasy. So IBS sufferers are known to experience a higher than average incidence of depression and anxiety. Similarly, people who suffer from Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis also have increased rates of depression and anxiety. So let's suppose that you're under pressure at work and you have to complete some long and complicated task by Friday and you feel stressed. Your brain needs more resources, food and oxygen in order to complete the work and it gets it by redirecting blood that would have gone to the gut towards the brain. Messages travel through the sympathetic nerve fibres, redirecting the energy away from digestion, which also results in the reduction of mucus production. If the stress continues and supplies to the gut stay at the low level, fatigue, loss of appetite, general malaise and diarrhoea may ensue. And if the stress continues even longer, the health of the gut will decrease, resulting in a weaker gut wall. As a result of this, immune cells in the gut, and there are more here than anywhere else in the body, become more sensitive. So you become more sensitive to what you eat. And this suggests that many food allergies are a consequence of stress levels. Another suggested consequence of prolonged stress is that it affects the bacteria that live in your gut, making it a better environment for some bacteria and worse for others. Remember what happened to the mice when the bacteria levels changed? The same can happen to you. And there's a time delay after the stressful period ends before the gut bacteria return to their original levels. Interestingly, it may be that the brain remembers the negative feelings from the gut, so it's less likely to put itself in the same stressful situation again. And that may be why people feel less keen on giving a second presentation, even though the first one appeared to be quite successful. It's recommended that mealtimes are stress-free events, because any kind of stress inhibits digestion. This means we get less energy from our food. It takes longer to digest, which adds to our stress. We know that travel sickness tablets numb the nerves of the gut. And it's also been found that as the feelings of nausea disappear, so do feelings of anxiety. Alcohol reaches the gut before it reaches the brain. Perhaps its relaxing effects come from what it does to the nerves of the gut. 
And if you want to achieve the same effect with bacteria, lactobacillus ruteri are able to inhibit the pain sensors in the gut. Similarly, lactobacillus platerum and bifidobacterium infantis help with IBS. Yeah, if 95% of all the serotonin produced by the body is in the gut, it can come as no surprise that taking SSRIs, the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, has an impact on the gut as well as an effect on the brain. And it's been suggested that the next breakthrough drug for depression will only affect the gut and not the brain. It's an interesting idea. Anyway, so here's a question. Do the bacteria in your intestine make you fat? And could they also make you slim? Well, those are the questions that researchers at the Washington University School of Medicine in Missouri tried to answer. They found twins, one that was fat and one that was thin. They took the bacteria from each twin's large intestine and put them into mice that had grown up in completely sterile environments. So neither mice had any bacteria living in their guts. And guess what? Mice with bacteria from the obese twin became heavier and put on more weight than mice with bacteria from the lean twin. The scientists explained this by suggesting that the bacteria from the lean twin were better at breaking down fibres into short-chain fatty acids. And it seems that diet is important for creating the right conditions for the lean bacteria to grow. When they kept both sets of mice in the same cage, they all became lean when they were fed a low-fat, high-fibre diet. However, a high-fat, low-fibre diet meant the mice put on weight. The explanation, and press mute for a moment if you're squeamish, is that mice are coprophagic. That means they eat each other's droppings. So bacteria from the lean twin got into the gut of the mice who started off with fat twin bacteria. Another study found that obese people have less diverse microbiota than lean people, while another suggested that an increase in a group of gut bacteria called Firmicutes and a decrease in a group of gut bacteria called Bacterioidetes are linked to obesity. Other scientists are suggesting a link between bacteria living in the gut and anxiety. Boston-based psychiatrist Dr. James Greenblatt is reported to have treated a teenager with severe obsessive compulsive disorder, as well as attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, an array of digestive problems. And what Dr. Greenblatt did was put the patient on a course of high-powered probiotics to boost her good bacteria, followed by antibiotics. After six months, the patient's symptoms began to disappear, and by a year, they were gone. So, Trevor, tell us about what bacteria we might find in our biome. I'm glad you asked me that. So, good bacteria include Firmicutes. These help digest fats and their predominance in your gut can be linked to obesity. Bacterioidetes. These are associated with leanness when plentiful. They teach your immune system how to behave and break down undigested fibre to produce butyrate. Butyrate controls the growth of cells in the gut walls. It also has an anti-inflammatory effect, and their numbers can be increased by eating lots of fibre. Achimantia, these live on the mucus secreted by the gut wall. They strengthen the gut wall and reduce inflammation. Their numbers can be increased by eating polyphenol-rich foods, and they also thrive when you eat less food. Cristensonella, these are found in people who tend to be lean. Lactobacillus, these protect your guts from fungal pathogens. Bifidobacterium, 
These help to break down indigestible fibre and protect your gut from other microbes. They're found in cheese and yoghurt. There are other bacteria that live in your gut, like Campylobacter, E. coli, Salmonella and Clostridium difficile, but they have a very bad effect. Not good ones to have then, Trevor. Okay, so I just want to mention probiotics and prebiotics. First of all, probiotics. These are live bacteria and yeast that are good for your health, especially for your gut. Prebiotics are substances that induce the growth or activity of bacteria and yeast in your gut. And did you know that gut bacteria produce the neurotransmitters dopamine, serotonin and GABA? There is plenty of evidence to suggest that these microbes can manipulate our behaviour and mood by altering the neural signals in the vagus nerve. Yes, that one again. They can change a person's taste receptors. They can produce toxins to make us feel bad. And they can release chemical rewards to make us feel good. In addition, microbes control what we eat and how much of it we eat. Growing evidence suggests that at least some forms of depression may also be linked to inflammation in the body. Therefore, it seems to make sense to eat foods that are anti-inflammatory, like tomatoes and spinach and salmon. And sleep is important for the intestinal lining to repair itself and to create a healthy microbiome. Lack of sleep makes you hungry and leads to stress, which leads to sleep deprivation. I have some fun facts. Firstly, did you know that the human gut is relatively shorter than in other animals? It's thought that as primitive humans started using fire and cooking food, this kind of pre-digestion meant they didn't need such long intestines. Secondly, the diversity of your biome can be measured using Shannon's index and Simpson's index. Moving on, researchers have found that eating leads to widespread opioid release in the brain, likely signalling feelings of being full up and pleasure. And finally, psychobiotics is the name given to bacteria that, when ingested, may provide a mental health benefit to the host by affecting their biome. So clearly there is a link between the gut and the brain. Are we going to talk about the gut-brain axis, Trevor? Yes, indeed. Research has shown that there is a complex communication system between the brain and the gut that ensures the health of the GI tract, and between the gut and the brain that affects mood, motivation and higher cognitive functions. And involved in this communication are hormones, the immune system and nerves. I guess the big question is, how does a person's biome affect their brain? Good question. It does it locally with interstitial cells and the enteric nervous system and directly using nerves, hormones and metabolic pathways. Evidence indicates that the vagus nerve is the main way that information from inside the gut, where the biome lives, passes to the central nervous system. And I think we mentioned that before. One of the main products of bacterial metabolism are short-chain fatty acids, such as butyric acid, propionic acid, and acetic acid. These are able to stimulate sympathetic nerves, mucosal serotonin release, and to influence memory and the learning process. Changes in the composition of the gut biome due to diet, drugs, or disease correlate with the changes in levels of circulating cytokines. 
some of which can affect brain function. Cytokines are small proteins that affect the behavior of cells around them, and they are especially important in the immune system. So tell us, Trevor, how does the brain affect the gut? There are motor signals from the central nervous system that go to the intestinal walls. The brain modulates gut functions such as motility, the secretion of acid, bicarbonates and mucus, intestinal fluid handling, the mucosal immune response. And these maintain the mucus layer and biofilm where the individual groups of bacteria grow. The brain may also affect the biome composition and function by changing intestinal permeability, allowing bacterial antigens to penetrate the epithelium and stimulate an immune response in the mucosa and mucous membrane. Stress, no matter how long it lasts, can affect the composition of and the total amount of biome in a person's gut. The biome can be directly affected by neurons, immune cells and enterochromaffin cells. So the gut-brain axis has also found to be a factor in depression associated with inflammation, the autism spectrum disorder, schizophrenia, and perhaps Parkinson's and IBS. In addition, antibiotics can have a devastating effect on a person's biome. Probiotics are thought to have a positive effect, and diet and lifestyle have an effect too, either positive or negative, depending on what that person does. Going back to stress, the HPA, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, is initiated in stressful situations. So following a message from the amygdala, the hypothalamus secretes corticotrophin-releasing hormone, which causes the pituitary gland to produce adrenocorticotropic hormone, that's into the bloodstream, which in turn causes the adrenal cortex to release cortisol. And cortisol is a stress hormone that affects the brain and many other organs, including the intestines. More specifically, immune cells, epithelial cells, enteric neurons, smooth muscle cells, interstitial cells of cajal, and enterochromaffin cells. These can be found with the epithelial cells lining the gut and are important in gastrointestinal regulation, particularly intestinal motility and secretion. In many ways, your biome can be considered to be a virtual organ of the body. And the list of cells that the biome affects includes immune cells, epithelial cells, enteric neurons, smooth muscle cells, interstitial cells of cajal and enterochromaffin cells. And that is a very similar list, isn't it? Yes. Do we know what specific parts of the brain are affected by the gut? Yeah, signals from the gut go to different parts of the brain, including the insula, the limbic system, including the amygdala and hippocampus, the anterior cingulate and the prefrontal cortex. Not to go off track too much, but we've never really talked about the insula or insulae before. We have two of them, one on each side, buried deep in the folds between the temporal, parietal and frontal lobes. They are meant to be involved in consciousness, associated with emotions, homeostasis, empathy, taste, perception, motor control, and I could go on. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Yes. It's important to understand that the intestine isn't a solid tube running through us. It's actually made up of living cells that allow some chemicals to pass through the walls. And in adverse conditions, these cells can become less effective, forming gaps that can let other chemicals pass through into the body. 
changes to the environment inside the gut can affect the composition of the biome and the number of organisms living there. This, we've heard today, can affect a person in many ways, both good and bad. So choosing carefully what you eat can have a positive effect on your food and your health. So a healthy biome can help create a healthy you and healthy clients. Certainly lots to think about. In many ways, all we need to do is tell many of our clients to eat a healthier diet in order for them to feel better or lose weight, etc. Could be an interesting idea, but I think I'll stick to a solution-focused hypnotherapy. Well, that's about it for this podcast. I hope you found it useful, and I hope you've learned more about how your brain biome and GI tract are linked. So it's goodbye from me, Cathy Eland. And it's goodbye from me, Trevor Eddles. See you next time. Bye. Bye.